Welcome to Black Writer Therapy, a podcast where Black women writers are invited to sit on the proverbial couch, have a cup of tea, and share the stories behind the stories, and what it really takes to write books about Black women in an industry that still prefers white as the default. I'm your host, published author and unlicensed therapist, Alice Shine. Black Writer Therapy is now in session. Been writing since her fourth grade teacher made her keep a journal for a grade. Now she does it to keep track of all the fascinating and heartbreaking moments that life throws her way. Poetry, personal essays, short stories, and novels have all occupied space in her heart and on her hard drive. She has published over 15 books in women's fiction and romance and is the current president of Women's Fiction Writer Association. Welcome, Ms. Jackie Kelly, to Black Writer Therapy Podcast. Thank you so much for coming to sit on our proverbial couch. How are you well, doing? Thank you for, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Very good. Now, there's just, uh, you know, first and foremost, I've been kind of like perusing through um, WFWA, like, because I joined like uh, probably sometime last year, like okay. in the latter part of last year. Um, and, okay. And when I was like, <laughs> when I was like picking people that I wanted to have on the show, I read the second book in the Baptista. Baptiste, yes. In the Baptiste, yes. Okay, so I'd read the second book and I was like, oh, she sounds interesting. I would love to have her on the show. And that's when I was just kind of thinking about doing the podcast. I wasn't sure if I was going to because I've I've done podcasts, but I've never done podcasts with like a guest. So I was uh, like, oh, God, I'm not going to get this woman on my show. And so I'm in a writing date. (laughs) And I'm like, God, I just read this really great book by Jackie Kelly. And I want to ask her about something. But I don't know if I'm going to be. And of course, they're like, you know who Jackie is? I said, yeah, the writer of the book. I just (laughs) (laughs) The book that I just that I just read um and and so no Michelle Montgomery says no she's the president of WFWA <laughs> I was like what are yeah. you serious since yeah, January so, 2022 yes yeah, since January of last year yes wow <laughs> I want to get into that how how is that like being the president of because this is a really big writing organization well, it is. I mean, it's not as big as some, of course, but it is it is big and is it is growing quite fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now we're over 2000 members. And, you know, this year we celebrate our 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So it's been in existence for 10 years. So and it's been around for a while, um, this organization. And, and it is a great organization to work with. Um, I, I was at a, another writers conference in New York and I was just talking to another writer that I can't remember her name because so long ago. And she was mm-hmm. saying, you know, there's a group organization that writes women fiction. And I was like, I didn't know that. And so she told me all about it. And she said to me, they have a conference every year 
in Albuquerque, she said, and, and she said, and it sells out really fast. So if you ever want to go, you got to really jump on it. So, <laughs> you know, I came home and I did my homework. I was investigating it and I did find the organization. And that very year, I think I did what well, was it had to be the next year because the conference was like in the summer or whatever. But the yeah. next year, I think in February, as soon as their registration opened up for their retreat in Albuquerque, mm -hmm. I jumped right on it and I was lucky enough to go. And, you know, and I've been to every retreat they've had since then. And, um, wow. and it was something about that first meeting when I was there and just listening to the ladies talk. And I shouldn't say ladies because it's, it's, it's an organization for men and women. But just listen to them talk and the camaraderie and the and the, the friendships that they had. And I was like, oh, I like this group. And <laughs> at that first meeting, I raised my hand. I said, I want to volunteer. I want to volunteer. And I remember Lainey, uh, Lainey Cameron, she she uh, asked me to become the volunteer coordinator. So I think uh -huh. almost immediately I became a volunteer coordinator for WFWA and I've been volunteering for the organization ever since. Yeah, it's kind of that it's a place where you want to give your time and whatever like skills or services you have, you want to do that. And because they do give so much, like I've been attending writing dates, I'm actually presenting at the conference this year I, I saw your name um, on the list yeah I was like how did that happen it was weird how it came about but I mean this organization has been more I think of a support and um an educational tool for yes. me I get but so much more out of WFWA and it's completely virtual and you know we have things like in person here but I'm like I feel closer to the writers that I've met in WFWA because I, it's just more genuine and it's just yeah. more, they, they're giving, you know? Yeah. And WFWA by it, it, I mean, it, it is that we have members who are all over the place. So not just mm -hmm. in the United States, but, and it's always been a virtual organization. And mm -hmm. so that's, I mean, during the pandemic where lots of, you know, people were shutting down and not being able to do things, we were able to actually do more because we didn't mm -hmm. have to pivot. You know, we were already doing on, on virtual workshops and virtual webinars, mm -hmm. you know, the writing dates. So, and since um, the pandemic, we've had a lot more people joining. I guess people were looking for, since they couldn't do things in person, they were looking for places where they could do. And I think that's what helped our membership to explode a little bit was the yeah. ability to be able to do so much virtually. Yeah. Yes. I 100% agree because I just, it's, it's an amazing organization. I tell everybody, every writer I come across, I'm like, oh my gosh, you really do need to check out WFWA. It's something there for you. I promise. Even if you no. think you don't write it, just check it out because it's such a great place. So thank you so much for presiding as the president ah, well, and uh, doing such a great job. I wasn't supposed to talk about that just yet. But oh, okay. <laughs> sometimes okay. I fangirl, Miss Kelly. Fangirl. Sometimes I fangirl. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Here's the question I have to ask every guest uh, when you guys come on because uh, the show is Black Writer Therapy. And mm -hmm. so it really is about um, more than just, you know, writing woes as a Black woman writer and things of that nature. So my, my initial question is always, how are you healing? How am I healing? And, and, you know, and I do use my writing as a healing method and I, I, you can, I, hopefully you can't see too much in my office right now because it's <laughs> not, it's kind of a mess, but I have, I have been writing since the fourth grade. 
because I had in fourth grade, I had a teacher who started me to journal. She taught us mm -hmm. to have, you know, we had to, the black and white composition notebooks, you know, that's yeah. how we started. And so, you know, and I started writing in that notebook and a lot of people think of it as, it's like a, a diary. And for me, a, what I journal is so much different from a mm -hmm. diary because I'm not in the, I'm not telling secrets in, in, in my journals, I'm actually kind of talking to myself and talking through things. And so for me also, that's what my writing is for me. I, you know, I, I kind of work out issues mm -hmm. through my writing, you know, if, um, if, if I hear something on the news and I don't like the way it sounded or something happened to somebody or a friend or somebody I know or a cousin's cousin's cousin or whatever, you know, I can kind of work through that, those emotions that I'm feeling through my writing. So I, because I, I would honestly say that in each one of my books, there is a little piece of me in, in each one of those characters. And not in just the protagonist, but each one of those characters exactly. is expressing some emotion, some feeling that I had that I, I I had to deal with or that I dealt with or that uh, caused me angst or anxiety. It, it, it's it's all in that book. So it's like you just kind of get to pour it all out. Mm -hmm. I don't have to carry it around with me. I can use my writing to kind of get stuff out of my head and out of my soul and onto a piece of paper. And then I, it's like, I, I can better deal with it that way. So that's how it's healing for me. And because, and if I'm, if at a particular time, if I'm not necessarily writing a story or in the middle of writing a manuscript, then I turn to my journals and do the same thing, mm -hmm. you know? So, and because I go back and look at some of the things that I write, you know, and I can almost kind of remember what I was going through at that particular time. So yeah. all writing that I do, whether it's it's a blog post for my website or if it's in my journal or if it's on a manuscript or whatever, all of it's a little piece of me where I get to kind of purge some of those emotions and, and kind of put them on paper. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think for most writers, that is such, I don't know most writers, but for the writers I talk to, Mm -hmm. And for myself as well. Um, yeah, I have no idea what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling or how I, you know, how I'm going to um, like circumnavigate a situation until I start writing about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw a post, um, I think it was on Instagram and you, you had like, you had your bujos. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am a bujoer too. Oh, are like you? I am. And so oh. I have like, I keep all of my bujos, my old ones. And it's so fun to go back and see, but you're like a really talented artist. Well, I, I, I like to write and I also like to paint and draw. So in, in, in my bullet journals, I got it. It's another just expression of creativity for me. Because mm -hmm. if I'm not writing, I'm painting or drawing. And, you know, I find with my bullet journal is that I will open it up more often if it looks pretty. Mm -hmm. So you know, I love sitting down and making it look pretty and seeing what, what I can put in it to make it creative and different from the last month so that I'm going to open it up. Because, I mean, my bullet journals is a wealth of information for me. I keep, you know, I, I'm always buying something online. So I keep a list in my bullet journal of all my packages. So I'll know when I, they actually get here to my uh -huh. house. 
I keep a list of all the movies because my sister or my son or someone will say, did you watch this movie? I keep a list in my bullet journal of all the movies that I list of movies. So whenever I'm bored, I, I need something new to watch. I could pull up in my journal and find mm -hmm. a, new, a new story to watch or something. So I am that thing. My bullet journal is, is just a wealth of information for me. I keep trip reservations and flight numbers and airplane leaving times and arrival times and addresses. All of that's in my bullet journal. So I, I I don't know what I would do without it. <laughs> so what got you into bullet journaling? That's, that's a good question. What got me into bullet journal? Because I, I am a paper person. I am a pen and paper person. So I know a lot of people now keep their schedules on their phone. I, I, and I am I am just a paper person. And like I said, I can't show you my office. <laughs> but I, I love and, and if you saw um last last weekend I was in New York so I went to a I can't even pronounce the name of the store but there's a a store in New York that's a paper supply store that I actually love it starts with Blick. the case. well I went to I went to Blick Art Supplies as yeah. well but all around my office I've got pens galore these are my favorite pens my oh, those, <laughs> I have those the tombos <laughs> The tombos, yeah, have them all. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, so I, so what, so, and I want to, I want to be able to write it and turn the page. And I love good paper in my journal, mm -hmm. so I'm always looking for a, a journal that's really got nice thick paper that I can mm -hmm. use pens and inks and maybe even a little watercolor in. It's just a, another expression of my creativity. I think. I love that. Now, let me admit, because I don't want anybody getting it twisted. I am no artist, right? So I don't draw or paint very well. Okay. But that never stops me from drawing or painting. So um, yeah, I saw some of your watercolor. It's just like, wow, you're so talented. Very beautiful. So well, when uh, I yeah. see you in Chicago, bring your bullet journal. I'll try to bring my bullet journal and we'll sit okay. there. And we'll take notes together. <laughs> okay. That, my friend, is a date because okay. I can't, yeah, I don't go anywhere without my bullet journal. So, okay, I have all my little notes here because okay. I took a lot of notes. Um, so, you think you're not going to be a whole hour and a half? Uh, if, if I keep yakking, I will, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we're going into the first segment, which is intentional writing. And um, I I don't know if many people know that the word intentions mm. has a medical definition. You're shaking oh, no, I did, no, no, I did not know that. No, it no. does. But that is my word for the year is intention. So I'm interesting to, interested oh. to hear what the medical definition is. The medical definition of the word intentions is the healing process of a wound. And I decided that I don't care what anybody else or how anyone else defines intention or intentional. That's going to be my definition because that is the whole purpose of everything I do is to heal myself first. And of course, to help heal others in any way, shape or form that I can. And I find that um, a lot of like a lot of the writing that I read, especially by Black women writers, is so cathartic. And I know it's cathartic for like the writer, but I, I, you know, it's like, do we know how cathartic our writing is for our readers? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Most of us probably don't even think about it, right? But I, I've come to find out that, you know, because I'm a reader, I'm an avid reader. And so, of course, as I'm reading, I can feel some healing taking place and I can say, oh, wait, okay, 
I never even thought about that. Mm-hmm. I had some of those moments in the book you told me to start with. Okay. Like, okay. Oh, oh, I didn't think about it like that. Is that packed so, and ready to go? That's the one I asked you to yeah. start. Okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Ma'am. So okay. um, so I like to call this segment intentional writing. Okay. And Basically, I just, we're going to, I asked you in the intake form, I said, so what's the most cathartic book you've written to date? And you gave me such a cryptic answer. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) Well, you know, I've written several romance books. And, you know, Mm -hmm. romance has a formula to romance. You have to have a happily ever after or happily for now ending. And one of the reasons why I think I like writing women's fiction so much more is because like life, it doesn't always have a happy ending or a happily ever after ending or happy for now ending. So, and that's what I kind of like about women's fiction because Uh it kind of mirrors the life that I live. I'll say it that way, the life that I live. And so when you asked me about the cathartic book, I, like I said, and, and Packed and Ready to Go and Going Backwards are women's mm-hmm. fiction books. And, you know, and some of that stuff that I've written, I've known that to happen to people, people that I know personally or people that I know from a distance, you know, that right. you, and, or, or, and everybody probably knows someone who's been cheated on in their life, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but even more recently, I, I have written, and it's it's not it's not sitting in a drawer. It's actually on my desk, and I'm working on it. Uh, another book that is very loosely based on um, some of the stories that I've heard my mother talk about, because it's I, it's a historical women's fiction that starts in the 1930s. My mother was born in the 1930s, so she and she grew up in the South. So she grew up in the Jim Crow South during the Great Depression as a Black woman. So, Where in the South? And she, start, she started out in um, uh, Carolina, West Virginia, and then her okay. family moved to Roanoke, Virginia. So just okay. wrap, it's just, when you can, if you can say the Jim Crow South, the Great Depression, and a Black woman, you can almost imagine the kinds of things that she had to deal with during that period of time. So I've taken some pieces of the things that she has told me mm-hmm. and I've written a manuscript. It's still a man, it's a manuscript. And I've, you know, I've had it, of course, it's been professionally edited and it's already, but that is one that's kind of right now that's kind of closest to my heart because it's got mm-hmm. a little bit of my mama in it and a, a little bit of other black women doing that time frame and the experiences that they must have gone through during that period of time. So that is probably one of the most cathartics. And and even doing NaNoWriMo in November, I decided to start on book two of that one, of that book. So I had a name for that one. So it started out as three, as three women, I say very young women. And then it comes, it comes up to like, probably right now I'm in the 1960s, which is a little bit better than the thirties, but probably not a whole lot better in some mm-hmm. respects. Um, so I'm writing book two, and that has been kind of cathartic, especially with the world that we're living in today, with a lot of people oh, gosh, trying yeah. to raise some African-American history, and we don't want to talk about slavery and the things that we don't want to talk about. So you say, you guys may not want to talk about it, but I'm going to write, I need to write these things down mm-hmm. so 
at least maybe some parts of them aren't forgotten or washed away. So those are the ones that have been very cathartic for me to write lately, but they're not published yet. And I know I'm sitting on it. And I keep asking myself, why are you sitting on these books? <laughs> and it's maybe- I was going to ask you, look, I'm sitting here like, I was, I was like, shall I be, shall I have the audacity to ask Miss Jackie Kelly, uh, why are you sitting on these books? Um, that, that's a good question. I, you know, and it's, it's, and I don't look at my books as my babies and I don't want to release them to the world, but like the, the, those were so near and dear to my heart that I've got to, I've got to make sure that I get them out into the world at the right time and the, and when mm-hmm. it's right for me, you know, and I'm, I, and I ask myself that regularly in my journal, I talk about the things that I need to do in the future. And that's one of the yeah. things, what are you going to do with these two manuscripts? You've written them, you've, you know, you've taken them through several rounds of edits. You've had people look at them. You've gotten great feedback. So what are you going to do with them, Jacqueline? And I think maybe 2024, it will be the time. So later this year, I will say late this okay. year, maybe sometime October, November, I will start making some firm decisions about what I want to do with those two books. Yeah. Okay. I tend to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be honest and I've said this so many times. Um, I was born in, in the seventies. Okay. And, and so I came of age in the nineties and two thousands. Right. And it was like the heyday for, for like black writers when, you know, everybody had a book club and yada, yada, yada. And then I'm not quite sure what happened, but I couldn't find any more black women's fiction writers. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I gave up and I stopped, you know, I was like, okay, I'll just read, you know, academic things and, and all that stuff. Um, and now that I have rediscovered black women's fiction writers, like I was like, well, when, where did you guys come from? Like, where, <laughs> where have you been? And, and how, how is it that I didn't know you guys were out there? And of course, the older I get, the more research I do, the more I realize it's not like widely publicized that we have all this great Black women's fiction out there. I can't find you in the bookstores, you know, and you're not taking up a lot of real estate and like, you know, digital because they're not putting you out there that way. And that was one of the main reasons why I decided, mm, this, this isn't right. We need to do more to get these voices out here because I learn way so much about myself, about being a Black woman, about being a Black mother, a wife, all those things that we are a writer by reading, you yeah. know. Yeah. I don't think black writers, I don't think they disappeared. I think that like they, we've always been writing. We just haven't had the publicity that we needed to get our voices heard. Um, you know, and you, you probably heard this a lot of, there used to be a belief, I'll call it a belief that, you know, black people didn't read. So we don't need to publish so many of those books because they don't read. And it's like, well, yeah, we do. Because I've like, like you, I've been reading since elementary school. My mother read a lot. And I remember as a child, she used to, our outings for us, we used to go into bookstores and walk up and down the aisles. And even when I got tired, my mama was still walking up and down the house. Mm-hmm. Books. So we've always been readers. And, you know, when we couldn't find black books to read, we read white books. We read, you yeah. know, whatever books were out there, we just had to read whatever was 
was out there. But now I think people realize that, you know, Black women, Black men, we do like to read and we mm -hmm. want to read about ourselves as well as other people. We like to read everything, but don't, yeah. you know, we want to read stories about people who look like us too, sound like us, who live like us. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I find that I'm reading so much more historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't think it was my thing. Okay. I didn't think it was something that I would get into, but I find that, um, especially within the Black women's fiction writing area, it's a lot of historical fiction yeah. being produced. And actually, it was so weird. My current work in progress is historical fiction, and I never thought I would write anything like that because okay. I'm just like, that's not my thing. That's not my thing, you know, but uh, like it's that's exactly what my thing is. And I think so. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, because because we're learning so because I think we're learning a lot about ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. when I think about and I was with my mother this past weekend and I, we were talking about the educational system. And I rem I said to my mother this weekend, I was out of college when I heard about what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma to that black community in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. So I didn't hear about that in junior high, high school, and not even in college. I was out of college. So now that we're finding all of this, we're finding out more information about our real history and things that we have accomplished and achieved and done. So what I think we want to put that in writing. We want to put that, we want to celebrate our achievements in our past. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we're seeing uh, more and more people are writing historical fiction. Now, uh, you, you probably heard of Vanessa Riley. She's mm -hmm. a black woman. Okay. She has written quite a few books lately about, um, you know, uh, 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 that, of course, my mind just went blank, but she's written about, you know, uh, a royalty, uh, African American royalty people, mm -hmm. and, uh, a lady, and I think it was Haiti who did, who you know, helped save. So she is, and she's doing quite a bit of research to find all this stuff out. Piper Hughley, the same thing. She just wrote this story about Anne Lowe. I didn't know the story about Anne Lowe until Piper read her. Which, um, it's called. Well, I should have had my Kindle in here because all my books are on my Kindle. Um, <laughs> And the story, I, 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 it'll come to me in a minute, but the story, Ann Lowe is the, is the woman who designed Jackie Kennedy's wedding dress, was a Black yes. You know, so we are finding out all of this history, this rich history that we knew nothing about. So of course, yeah, we want to put that stuff in writing. We want to share it with the world. So I think that mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why we're seeing so much more historical fiction now. Um, even Sadiqa Johnson just wrote the House of Eve, the Houses of Eve, the House. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and and that took place in the I I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to say 50s or 60s, you know, mm -hmm. around that time. So it's like, yeah, this, some of this stuff was really happening to people, and we're finding it out, and we're writing these stories about you know the times that that were hidden from us, you know, or kept right. from us that we didn't know about. Right. So. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think uh, that's my impression. Now, somebody might tell you something very different. Maybe those people just like historical fiction, but it's 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 a wealth of knowledge in those books when you start to take a look yes. at them. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that's the like the joy of it for me um, because I'm such a research buff. I absolutely mm -hmm. love research, okay. and um, like I tell everybody, I have done enough research on abnormal psychology and dissociative identity disorder 
uh, for my last series, I could probably use it to get a PhD if I could defend it via the information, really, because I, I believe if you're writing anything, it's necessary that you are making it as believable as possible, even while providing, you know, this it's kind true. of exactly yeah. so um i'm fine i'm just having a blast i'm going back five generations like into victorian era i'm just having so much fun and okay. bring, you know so much fun so and we I need that I, you know yeah we need we because a lot of times um if you just give somebody a textbook and it can be kind of boring but if mm -hmm. you could put in a fiction and make it interesting, so you got some, you got some imagination weaved in there along with some, you know, real historical facts, it makes it more interesting to read, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, so that's a good way to get that information out there in the world. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So very good. Um, let's see where we're going. Da, 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 da. Thank you for telling us a little bit about your, um, your unpublished work too. I didn't want to push you because you said, you know, I'm letting it simmer. I love that. I'm letting, yeah, and and, and it's, you know, and I maybe I maybe I need a little push. It's like you got to birth that baby, so get it on out there. So maybe, like I said, I'm I'm. It's getting closer. It's getting close to being ready to hit the, my. And my mother even asked me about it this last week when I was with her this over the weekend. She said, because I re, I asked her a lot of questions as I was writing mm -hmm. it. I was really picking her brain, and she said, "What what's going to happen with that book?" And I was like. Mm -hmm. Please, it's, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's really neat because I find that a lot of, like, what, you're from up north, you said up in north. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. <laughs> okay, so it's like I find so many people that I talk to, they're like, oh, yeah, but my mom or my dad, they're from the south because I am a South Carolinian born and raised okay. and still thriving. And okay. I find so many people were like, yeah, but I have southern roots. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it's like migration when we all kind uh -huh. of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, but even with the migration, I find it so interesting. You may have been born like in DC, but like to me, you feel like a Southerner. Uh, yeah, I do. Cause my mother and my, my, my mother was born in, like I said, West Virginia, my father was born in Tennessee. So even though we lived up North, we still had those Southern roots almost definitely. Yes. Yes, yes. And that's what I, I think. You never really get rid of that stuff. Do you find that it's kind of woven into your writing, any of the Southernisms? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Almost definitely. Because my mother had a saying for every occasion. <laughs> she had more saying. <laughs> and some of them, people have heard and some of them they haven't heard, but you know, they were old country sayings and whatever. And um, I, to, even to this day, I will use some of them and my husband swears up and down every now and then I'll say something to him. And he's like, Ooh, you went way back with that accent. And it got, <laughs> that southern draw came into play. So he'll tell me that quite often. So. Okay. Now we're going to pivot. Okay. Because we're going to get into packed and ready to go. Okay. I'm going to have to turn on my memory to remember everything about that book. Okay. Okay. I should okay. probably tell you, I am a former English teacher. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> so I read. I, I do a lot of close reading. I'm going to be honest with you, Miss Daffy. I tried because I told you I, I came across your book um, going going backwards. Okay. And I read that first. Okay. And then you said, you might want to start with, and I was like, oh, okay. 
So I actually, so I read it backwards. Okay. You know, but I tried so hard to find a redeeming quality in Walter. <laughs> Could not do it, huh? I couldn't. I, I was like, if Walter was on fire, I wouldn't spit on him. I wouldn't even spit on him. And I tried. I tried. I, I, I tried to look at it and to see his his childhood and how he grew up in that way. And this mother who was probably blaming him for being like his dad. And I like I read all into it. I did the psychological. I was I still couldn't find a redeeming quality. Okay. And Walter. But you know, I I guess I'm the belief that I, and I and I have, I'm gonna rephrase this. I was going to say no one's born bad, but I would say now that very few people are just born bad. <laughs> we learn to be bad or mean mm-hmm. or cruel or whatever, and 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 it's often things that happen to us that shape us. I think as children or young adults, mm-hmm. and, and and that's kind of what happened to Walter. Um, I, 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 he he wasn't, I mean, I, I didn't like him either because no one would want to be married <laughs> to anybody like that, of course. <laughs> and and I think you may have seen in book two, he got his comeuppance or whatever, his uh-huh. desserts. But, um, you know, his, his mother, for a man who was not loved the way he needed to be loved as a child or in, as, and growing up, and he just never saw it. So he was never loved. He didn't know how to love. You know, so I, I and uh, you're not the only one who told me that he was not redeemable. And and maybe that's the way I I, I didn't mean to write him that way. I, but he, surely, though, we don't want to look at him as he wasn't a hero by any stretch, not in the first book, not even in the second book. He wasn't a hero, and not but, even an anti-hero. Like he wasn't yeah. an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I, he had some personality flaws for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny that you should say that. I did a, I had a podcast before this and it was called Enchanted Beast Podcast. And that was where, that was my bujo. That was my initial bujo. I just, I did the podcast for no other reason. I didn't care if anyone listened to it. I did it because I was working through a lot of stuff. And, and I was like, I have three daughters and, and I was, um, I was diagnosed with lupus like back in 2013 and things were really kind of touch and go for a while. And I was like, well, I need to get all this stuff out here so that if I'm not here, then mm-hmm. they can like have some of my mama's wisdom. And mm-hmm. so I, I did all these episodes and I was going um, back because I thought oh, I need to get a few snippets of some things for some other thing. And I listened to an older podcast that says, don't be a pain in the butt. And I was like, they're not character flaws, they're character thorns, and they are there to warn and protect. And it was basically the exact same thing that you said, that everything that was going on with Walter was a learned behavior and a way to deal with his own trauma. Mm -hmm. And again, intellectually, I'm there. I'm there. Okay. And but you you wrote Walter in such a way, and this is like compliment here because I don't know if I could write a character that kept going like da 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 from bad to worse and recognizing it, knowing it, like 
seeing it, watching it happen, and still continuing to do it. But you know, th- and that's why I like women's fiction because I know people like Walter. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know, if I think about some re- failed relationships out there, and they seem to go from bad to worse. Yes. So you know, I mean, maybe not in the same way that Walter did. But they, you know, so the people, some people, you know, they lie and they cheat and they steal and they just keep doing bad things over and over again to the people that Mm -hmm. they are supposed to love. So uh, to me, we don't like Walter, but Walter is a real character out there. So real. I can so (laughs) real, you know, and 27%. Any guesses what that number means? Is it the number of people in the U.S. that listen to podcasts? Actually, that number is 24%. Well, in 2017, that number has increased exponentially up to 64% in March of 2023. Podcasting continues to be on the rise. It is the place to be. Only 27% of podcasts are hosted by women. Only 27%. Are you as shocked as I was? Just think of all the voices we are missing. Is your voice one of those? Is there a topic you keep thinking about? A message you know needs to be shared? Guests you know you want to interview? Or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you know that you want to help others get to know you better and know what you do. Podcasting is the way to do it. This is why I founded Authentic Connections Network. A podcast network that is so much more than you'd imagine. We take the tech and stress out of podcasting. We give you the power of a network power of community, of education around podcasting, of coaching, individualized supports, and all the other incredible women breaking through and changing the landscape of podcasting. Isn't it time you realize your dream? We believe strongly in our creators. We believe in Ella Shawn and in Black Writers Therapy. There are conversations that need to happen, stories that need to be told. Authentic Connection Network is the place for them. Follow us on Instagram at 37 by 27. Comment the word amplify on any of our posts or DM it. That feels better to you. I want to learn more about you and your goals and how maybe you could be part Fantasy of turned Walter into a great guy, but you didn't. And you kind of, I suffered with Tracy. <laughs> suffered right with her. But then there's Tracy. Like I have my whole list of discussion points. Uh-oh. Okay. About the about the book overall. But I was like, I wanted to root for Tracy because hello, girl power. But then I was like, girl, what? Why? Why are you continuously doing this? Why are you you know what he's doing? You your friends know what he's doing. Everybody knows what he's doing. Why? Are you putting up with this? You don't need him financially. You're you're good to go. You got this hot Italian who's trying to get with you. Hello, Marco. Your kid is grown. Why are you still doing this? Even if your kid wasn't grown. And then I started reading the subplot with Tracy and her parents. See, it's all intertwined. But you know, when I think about it. And, and I'm sure that 
anybody listening to this, it may be even you know a girlfriend or a friend or a sister or a cousin or a coworker, someone in your life or someone you cross paths with who is in a bad relationship and not getting out of it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's easy for us to say, because I, I'm one of those people like, I'm not, I wouldn't take that. I'd be, you know, that that's that's who I am. So and I and I guess a lot of times I'm expecting other people to be like me. But sometimes mm-hmm. I sit back and I look at people in relation and that are not are, are in unhealthy relationship and they don't do that. And so and you know that's why I write books sometimes. I wonder why. Why, why won't, why can't you see what I'm seeing? And, and, and it, I mean, if anybody listens to the news or watch 2020 or Dateline and you hear about these women who are with men who end up killing them or whatever, you know, and that's real life. And that's why I like women's fiction. Cause it is like real life stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not that happy, happy stuff. Cause there are some women who are in bad relationships and they don't get out of them. They don't get out mm-hmm. of them. Like when I think I would get out and, you know, you say boo to me the wrong way and I'm, I'm, I'm out, you know, but there are some people just kind of hanging there and in love and you got to stay with someone or what would my parents think of me if I don't do this? And he didn't mean it that way. And, and they just stay in bad relationships. And that got me to wonder why do people stay in bad relationships? And I'm sure there's, I could probably write 999 books about why men and women stay Mm -hmm. in bad relationships because everybody's got a different reason why they do. And, you know, so. I'm going to tell you why I thought this book, I'm going to tell you why I was so mad with Tracy. Okay, so here's me being vulnerable because I refuse to be a hypocrite. I'm going to tell you why I was so mad with Tracy because I saw myself in her. Okay. Okay. And I was like, in so many ways, I was like, oh my gosh, my husband and I have been together since we were 17 in high school. And he's the only husband, the only guy, he's it. Like, that's it. Just like Tracy and Walter. And so we're 30 years in, like, you know what I'm saying? We're 30 years in. And I... There were times when I I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't working for me, blah, 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 blah. But I would never like, and I'm glad I didn't because like, okay, that's my dude. I love him. But, you know, I was like, why didn't I just leave when I wanted to, like before we got married, before we were all into kids and this is that and the third. And I, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why, because my family told me that I was going to be an X, Y, Z, and I'd have this many baby daddies and, and all the other things. And, and so I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And and I was like, oh, Tracy, yeah. Tracy, your daddy, you're, you got pregnant before you got married. I didn't do that because, you know, I was like, my family thought I would, and they thought I wouldn't, you know? So it was like, she's sticking it out to prove to her daddy that they would have been together anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and like, you know, there were times that I was just like, I don't know if I even want to be married. I don't even know if I believe in marriage. Like, and so, but I was like, no, because I am not going to be what my family said I was going to be. See, there, there are always reasons why people, and, and I don't always see that because sometimes, you know, it's like, I have my blinders on and it's like, mm-hmm. I would do this and this and this but you know that's old saying that you never know what someone is going through until you walk a 
smile in their shoes, you know? Exactly. So yes, because every situation is a little bit different why people do the things they do. And in women's fiction, I, it's almost like I get to tell the real truth about, you know, what people, yeah. people do and what people don't do. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I realized that I was taking my notes and I was like, why are you so troubled with tracing? Oh, that's mm -hmm. why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, because, uh, yeah. Oh. Okay. But yeah, so so I mean I think the, the skill with which you you didn't say a lot about it. You it wasn't something that was so explicit that it was just obvious. Okay, you know, that they they came from these really kind of jacked up situations and it really did a number on them. You were so soft and subtle with it, like Pacey loves her mom and dad and she's always there taking care of them and da 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 da. And I'm like, okay, you were a little less subtle with Walter because Walter obviously has issues with his mom, but still it wasn't something that you beat over the head. You know, you didn't well, beat because, you know, over the head with it. Because in real life, sometimes the things that shape us, we are not even aware that it's shaping us. You know, exactly. I, you know, um, I, and I often tell the story when I was getting ready to go off to college, my mother said to me, I, cause I, she said, well, you know, what are you going to study in college? And I told her, I want to study journalism. Mm -hmm. Okay. My mother said to me, when you go to college, you better study something. So when you graduate, you can get a job because my mother grew up in the 1930s in the Jim Crow South yes. during the depression. Women didn't write. Black women didn't write anyway, you know, so I went to school and I got a degree in business administration, mm -hmm. got an MBA as well, because, because women didn't write. Black women did not get paid to write, according to my mother. So now, and I was with my mother this weekend, and she said to me, do you ever think about going back to school? I was like, no. I don't want any more degrees. Now, if I go to school, if I, if I take any learning, I don't want it to be where I need a grade. I'm going to take a painting class, a writing class, a drawing class. I'm going to do all the fun stuff that I didn't get to do back then. Right. I want to write. I want to draw. I want to paint. I want my creative side to come out. When I retired mm -hmm. from my job, I was a financial manager. And now in my sorority, a lot of times they're looking for people to help money the finances. It's like, I am not the one. I don't want anything to do with numbers anymore or spreadsheets anymore. I'm leaving all that behind because see, that's the baggage that my mother settled mm -hmm. on. That it, and, and, and no disrespect to my mom. She was talking, she was talking to her daughter based on her experiences exactly. and what life showed to her. And see, that's what happens to a lot of us. Even in, you know, our parents say little things to us. And we yep. internalize it so very differently that, you know, you end up 30 years later doing something that somebody said to you way back when, and you'd be like, why am I still doing that? And it's because those things, they, they, they kind of germinate in your soul and they grow mm -hmm. and they take life of their own, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And you don't, and parents, they, they don't mean any harm most of the time when they tell you that they're just telling you, they're trying to tell you what they think is best for you at that particular yes. point. Time, you know, but the world keeps changing and evolving. So, you know, I wish now I, you know, I wish I had gone to school to study journalism. You know, I think I would be <laughs> light years further along than I am right now, but I took my mother's advice and here I am. 
<laughs> yeah. And yeah, my mom told me, don't major in English. And I was like, there's absolutely nothing else I want to major in. She was like, you're not going to get a job. I said, I don't want a job. I just want a life. That's all. I just want a life. Smart woman. That's what I should have told my mama. <laughs> but, you know, uh, <laughs> no. You, look, I, and my mom was, was very disappointed, but now she's not, so. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. So I have my little list here of all the things that I found in in the book that you touched on. And we've touched on a lot of them. Uh, the marital infidelity, loveless marriages, um, toxic masculinity, and I put slash emasculation because I think that toxic masculine energy is a result of emasculation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love that you touched on the mother-son relationship. Everybody always says that sons love their mothers and and you know the daughters love their dads and all that other stuff but you I don't know I I I don't think that people really explore how mothers can really destroy their sons and make them a big problem for the woman that they yeah and in a lot of different ways not just and that that way was extremes but mothers who don't want their sons to learn how to cook or to sew or to sweep a floor you know because that's not you know it's like yeah, the things that we do for our sons versus our daughters, but you know, mm -hmm. hopefully things are changing now. So, yeah, I absolutely love how you did that. Now, maybe this is just me because you know I'm in this space, but like I was reading Tracy, it's like she's a wife, she knows how to be that, she is a mother, she knows how to be that, she's an employee. She's good at that. A daughter. Yep. A friend, of course. What she doesn't seem to be comfortable being is a woman. Mm, yeah. She can take care of everybody else but herself. She is yeah. good at and, and and a lot of women, me included, often do that. We we spend a lot of time taking care of everybody else and we put ourselves last on the list. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I need to, I need to cook the dinner. I need to, you know, get the kids ready for school or do the homework. I need to do this at work and I need to go see so-and-so who's in the hospital and I need to take them flowers. But, you know, where's the time for yourself? Where do you sit back and say, what does Jackie need? What, you know, what do I want to do? Do I just want to soak in the tub for 30 minutes with a bubble bath with a good book? You know, that's usually the last thing on the list. We, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's something else that I have in my bujo that I didn't mention is I have a page of self-care and I list yeah. down all the things for me that are, that I consider self-care. Self-care is going to be different for everybody, but I put a list down. So whenever it's like, okay, I need to put myself on the list. I go take a look at that and say, well, what kinds of things do you like? to do that you could fit into your time right now is it a bubble bath is it going to get your nails done or getting a pedicure or just painting mm -hmm. or just doing a, massaging your head whatever the things because we we put ourselves last all the time you know and yeah. and that's what tracy did she she was so busy being everything for everybody else she was never there for herself she was she was i never think there. the thing that you touched on that i really wanted to talk to you about with tracy was she did not own her sexuality. Mm -mm. Okay. 
she didn't okay. own it because like she she wasn't like when I read through it because I write like through an erotic lens I write erotica I do it all and I'm looking at her and I'm like this beautiful man because I'm seeing him as something like extra young <laughs> right so I'm like this beautiful man is all up in your business and you're having all these fake fantasies but you don't even know how to move and and be okay with any of like that energy like just own it not for him but just for herself but then I was happy in book two because you know yay Tracy but I I'm like but she didn't she was so out of touch with it if Walter didn't want her in that way then it was like okay that's not a part of me anymore because well because they both came at marriage very differently because Walter of course he had an affair Tracy would not have had an affair as mm -hmm. long as she was committed to it. that was not something that she would have done that her she thought her parents would approve of or any of that stuff so there was no way that she was going to even think of herself as a sexual being other than with Walter. That was the only person that she could be. And, and, and you know, even sometimes I, I think if I wrote it, that she even thought her her fantasies of with Marco were almost taboo. I shouldn't be thinking like this, you know. Yeah, she was so guilty. She felt guilty for even the fantasies. Right. Even the fantasy. Well, you know, there are some people say, um, um, what is it about if if even if you lust with your mind, that's a form of mm. cheating, you know. So she was from that yeah. school of thought. <laughs> you know, just to I think just, of I, it is taboo. There's so many women out there like that though, especially like in that age where the kids have, have gone away and like, you know, you're looking at this person that you married and you're like, I don't even know who he is anymore exactly yeah yeah and I don't exactly. even know who I am anymore you've just done such a beautiful job like with this with the people you don't overwrite like you know what I'm saying you don't overwrite you. and that is a gift oh, okay thank you because I'm like I can read it and you you leave enough space so that I can have my own interpretation yeah yeah so how, I, so I don't want to get you over the head how did I do that? <laughs> yes, because I'm just like, I'm all for, you know, you know how they say, show, don't tell. You're mm -hmm. like the master of show, don't tell. Well, thank you. That's very, that is a compliment. I appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. I, I, I remember once someone said that Toni Morrison said that every word in her book has a meaning. And if you took any one of those words out, it would change the whole gist of her mm. story. So she does not write filler. And you know, I love Toni Morrison. Now, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm as good as Toni, but I wish I were. But when I write, I try to keep that in mind. I, you know, um, and I've taken some courses where they talk about don't get writerly, you know, because you, you can hit people over the head with some stuff. But I do mm -hmm. want people to kind of interpret the story and everybody's going to interpret it a little bit differently. And I'm okay with that. And that's what kind of like mm -hmm. what I want everybody to kind of interpret it. Just put your own nuances on the story or your, you'll bring your own history or baggage to that story and interpret it the way that resonates with you. So I, 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 I can't tell you how I do it. I just try to think just, you know, if it's a word and it needs to have a meaning or it doesn't need to be in the book. <laughs> I like that because yeah, it was a pleasure to read it. And it's like, 
I don't know. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed that. And Toni Morrison's one of my favorite writers, too. Okay. Um, and you looked at Sisterhood. I love, love, love Ursula. I'm going to make you laugh. So this weekend, I went to a tea party. One of my friends is a member of the Lions Club. And so they had a fundraiser. And we went to the tea party. And um, one of our other friends brought a person from work. And she introduced her. She's like, oh, guys, this is Ursula. I was like, shut up. I said, I am reading this book. And the the protagonist's best friend, her name is Ursula. And I was like, I don't know any Black Ursulas. I want a friend named Ursula. I, and <laughs> here she was. And we clicked like <laughs> that. It was so funny. And so she was like, so now you have a friend named Ursula. I was like, yes, because I wanted one. You made <laughs> Ursula so cool. And this girl reminds me so much of your Ursula. I think that might be kind of a, if you're an Ursula, this is your personality. <laughs> because and I promise you, she was so much like her. <laughs> was she? And I, I am big on female relationships. I think, I, you know, I honestly believe if a woman has some good friends in her life, she's got it made. And I mean, I don't mm -hmm. mean acquaintances. I mean, good friends. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think I am lucky enough that I do have some good friends in my life. Some people who I can cry on their shoulder, who cry on my shoulder, who kind of lift me up when I'm down and keep encouraging me, say, you know, keep on, you can do this, you can do this. So I've got some good friends in my life. And I think every woman should try to find some good friends to kind of hold you up and to be there for you. Cause you, and, and you need to be there for them. You got to show up for them as mm -hmm. well. But I mean, those are relationships. And some of the friends, I mean, we've been friends for 40 50 years. We've been friends lots of years. Wow. So we've got lots of history together. So yeah. I hate to stop right here, but we got to pay the bills. We'll be back after this message. So almost in every book that I write, someone going to have a friend in there. They might be one, mm -hmm. they may be two, but they're going to have a friend in there because I, I, I do believe that strongly in female relationships, friendships. Yeah. Yeah, I am actually at a place where I'm just starting to cultivate those friendships. Okay. And I guess I had a whole heap of work to do. I have one friend, but she's my cousin, right? And that we counts. are, <laughs> of course, and we've been like, you know, from the womb to the tomb. That's our motto. She's four months older than me. So okay. she is my bestest, bestest friend. Um, but I am now cultivating these friendships with women outside of my family um, and I think it was because like, I didn't trust myself enough and I wasn't quite sure if I would be like, you know, interesting enough and to sustain these things. So after the work is done, yes, it's a good thing to have these women like in my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause sometimes, you know, I, I have conversations in my head all the time and sometimes I have to bounce them off somebody and my poor husband, he probably said, you know, I need a break. Cause he don't want me <laughs> at him all the time so you know I, me and my girlfriend we might go to lunch and we just sit there and I get to purge all this stuff and then she can mm -hmm. you know tell me, yeah you crazy <laughs> or no that makes perfectly good sense to me you know so sometimes because yeah. you, you need to get another point of view you know sometimes mm -hmm. so yeah they I I believe in female friendships I really do <laughs> I love theirs I absolutely love it okay so where 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 are we
yes, you said something earlier that just you can always kind of remember what was going on in your life when you were writing a certain thing. Mm -hmm. So what was happening when you wrote packed and ready to go? Well, I, I have had several friends who have gone through divorce and they have gone through divorce for various reasons. And, and, and some of those relationships I, I still have, and some of them are not as close because it's almost like when, if you have a, a friend that's a couple, a male and a female that are a couple, it's like when they get divorced, somebody gets that friend, you know, either the wife yeah. gets the friend or the husband gets the friend or something. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but that kind of happens. So, and when I wrote that one, I was probably looking back at some of my friends who had gone through divorce. And and that story was probably a, a culmination of some of the reasons why they, they went through mm -hmm. divorce. Um, and like you said, and more than anything, um, I wanted to explore, you know, as a married couple, they, you, your marriage has to go through evolutions. My husband and I have been married over 40 years. So, you know, you go through evolution when you first get married and it's young and, and you're free, you don't have any kids mm -hmm. and you have lots and lots of fun. And, you know, and then the kids come along and then you spend lots of years raising the kids and, yes. and you your husband, you have all, it's almost we talking tag team, do this. I got this, you know, because you're so busy mm -hmm. raising the kids. And my husband and I tried to, as we was raising the kids, it was always very important for me to make sure I have, continue to have a relationship with my husband. So when my kids get grown and leave, I won't look at him and say, who are you? <laughs> you know, exactly. I, wanted still, I wanted to still know who he was. So, and, and so I wanted to kind of capture what can go wrong if, mm -hmm. you, if you don't, if you don't stay connected some kind of way through that marriage, because, you know, now my husband and I are empty nesters and, you know, now, now, and I was golfing, I haven't golfed in a while, but he is still golfing. And I keep saying, we still need to make sure we do things to connect because now I'm writing and I'm drawing and he's, he's not a creative person at all, but we still try to find ways to keep us connected because marriage is, it's work. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it's not something that you just kind of breeze through. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be very conscious of your relationship forever. You know, mm -hmm. as long as you're in that relationship, you have to work on it and nurture it and make sure it's important to you. So I was trying to kind of show that, and you know, this is a couple who just grew apart. And like I said, they, they didn't know each other. She didn't know him. He, he maybe didn't care to know her. And this mm -hmm. is what can go wrong if you don't, if, if you, if you don't take care of your relationship. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, that so that was it was probably pulling the, no no story that I tell is about any one person. I, I, I right. know most writers try to stay away from that unless you're writing about a specific character in history, because <clears throat> you try to stay away from that because you know I don't want somebody to sue me and say that's my life story. <laughs> so I, I take a little bit of this and a little bit of this, yes. and a little bit of this and I put it all together. So and so uh, and that so at that point in time, I probably had some friends that were going through some difficult times. And I was just trying to capture maybe some of their reasoners and some of that reasoning, mm -hmm. some of my own, you know, reason about what I thought from the outside looking in yeah. what was going on. Okay. We are going to pivot. Okay. Because um, we're going to go ahead and, and hit segment two, the audacity of Black women writers. Oh. Um, but before we get into that, I um, asked you, um, what about working in the publishing industry um, would send you 
to a therapist couch if if this was like you know if i was a legit therapist offering services to black women writers what about the industry would i am not i am not a licensed therapist uh, <laughs> but what about that would would send you and you said um <coughs> i don't know if there is a large enough market for your writing you chose mm -hmm. that one that that would be the thing that would send you screaming to the couch <laughs> help me help me doctor so why that one well because um i i think i need to make sure i, I coach because it's the right way you know there's a <laughs> lot of talk in the industry because there at one point in time there were so, some people that think that everybody is looking for um uh own voice stories is what they said mm -hmm. own voice stories and so some people thought they were being left out of the publishing um field altogether because they didn't have own voice stories and I, it's just like I, I i mean i'm not seeing that i guess i would almost say if you almost talk to any person of color who's writing a story about the, the uh, person of color they would almost tell you the same thing i had an experience not too long ago where i submitted the, the, my historical fiction to an agent and she came back to me and she said to me I just had a baby and I'm in a very happy place right now so I don't want to you know take a look at any sad stories I thought now maybe that's just what she said because she didn't like the story and maybe that was the nicest thing she could have said to me to let me down that she didn't like the story but maybe I think I would have just said, rather her say, I didn't like this story, but don't tell me you don't want sad stories because, you know, if people are writing their experiences, <clears throat> and unless you're just taking a look at romance or whatever, children's books, you know, just because that's not what you're interested in doesn't say that that's not what anyone is interested mm -hmm. in. So to put it mm -hmm. in such a narrow field, our our writing, our books is such a narrow category. You know, it, it 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 to me it just does a disservice to all black people because just you know there are all kinds of people of color in the world. We're all very different. We've all got different stories. We've all got different backgrounds. We've got mm -hmm. different baggage. And so don't narrow us down and think you can only tell this kind of story. I so that was that was that definitely sends me to a a, a couch, uh, you know, because people say, "Well, that story is so sad," or um, um, "I wanted to have a happy ending," and I'm I'm not saying, like I said, I, in my story, I wrote book two, but you know, sometimes some stories don't have a happy ending. I mean, you you think about think about like Zora Neale Thurston, who 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 you know she passed away in Florida in some unmarked grave, and nobody and knows anything about her. Exactly, and you take a look at you know uh, some of the people. Um, it was a Diana Washington who was a black singer back in the forties and fifties, and mm -hmm. I mean she was hooked on heroin, but she went to the hospital. She was a famous person when she went to the hospital. No one knew she was. She laid on a, a gurney in the hospital wing and died. You know, so we don't always have happy endings. Exactly. But does that mean our story doesn't get to get told because it doesn't have a happy ending? Which should I just smack a happy ending on it to make you feel better? 
I, that that drives me to a couch. I don't want to be able to tell our stories, the way our stories happen, the way I see it, the way I want it to play out in my fictional world, not one to suit you. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm, and and it's a t are you saying to me that no one wants to read that kind of story? You know, I, I, I find that very hard to believe because I read those kind of stories. I read mm -hmm. stories that don't always have, I just, like I said earlier, I read uh, Sadiqa Johnson's book, um, The Houses of Eve. I didn't think that had a necessarily happy ending. It, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, have you read that story? I've not no. read it yet. It's on my TBR. Okay. I, I, I won't tell you the ending, but I, I mean, the way it ended, it was okay, but it wasn't like everybody was singing and dancing in the street at the end, you know, right. because our stories, especially if they're historical, that took place. They're in the not going to be singing and dancing in the street. Exactly. So, so I, I said to myself, well, you know, I said to myself two, two things. First, that wasn't the agent for me. If that's her feeling, then that, mm -hmm. that's just, and, and maybe she just didn't like my story. She was just trying to tell me, you know, in a nice way, I don't like this story, but you know, sometimes you need to be honest because if you make mm -hmm. up a lie, it to me, it's almost worse. So what she told me was even worse than said, this is not the story for me. That story she told me was worse than saying, this is right. not the story for me. So. That did this. So right. that's what drives me to a couch. Tell me that we're going to write historical fiction and it's got to be a happy ever after ending. I, you know, because I've read life is just not like that, especially in some of the historical fiction books that, you know, if you're writing historical fiction and you're writing about people of color or black people, more than likely it's not going to, you know. Exactly. And if yeah. you're writing historical fiction and you're writing accurate, historical fiction especially um, in this country it doesn't matter who you're writing about it is not going to be happy because in order for those who are like dancing in the street at the end of the story to be dancing in the street somebody is not dancing in the street and if you can't tell their side of the story then what are you doing exactly yeah so that's, yeah, that's what drives me to the therapist's couch. It's like, let us tell our stories the way we want to tell our stories. Don't tell us how we need to tell that story and, and say it needs to have a happy ever after ending because that's, you know, I, because the way I ended that first book, um, it was a satisfactory ending. You know, it wasn't dancing in the street, but the, because the premise of the book is, you know, a black woman, black women during that time, we had narrow choices. We had few choices. Mm -hmm. So what you had to do was you had to take a look at the few choices that were available to you and pick the best one. Right. So that's what, the, and I think that's how I pick it. The, the women at the end of the story, they picked the choices that were best for them. Where, I mean, it wasn't like, I'm going to marry some rich guy and go live up in, you know, Hollywood or whatever. That was not one of their choices. Then right. one of their choices was maybe I can get married. I can marry this man and he's going to take care of me and my baby and keep us safe and keep a roof over our head. Maybe that's reality back in the 1940s and 50s. It's like, I may not love him to death, but he is a good man a good provider and he's going to take care of me that's that's the choice that's I got. reality right now that's <laughs> that's a reality for some people right now exactly right now. So, yeah so you know because she wasn't dancing in the street you know but that's reality that's what you, you know so i don't know but anyway yeah that yeah. that would be on the couch yeah <laughs>
that is one of my like I the story that I'm writing now it's again and I'm like this is the one that I'm going to query with and I am just like I I oh I don't even know what to say because you know I'm like I who am I going to query and I'm yeah. looking and I'm I'm compiling my list and I'm just like I I already know you know it's like get prepared because you're gonna you're gonna get those types of responses right that are kind of arbitrary and without merit and then you're going to get maybe some thoughtful ones and hopefully you'll get like yes I send me some more but yeah. it's like I always like I don't want to be the writer who says are you saying this because yeah but and you never I, and you never really know you know you never really yeah know. So I, I wish there were more black women fiction agents out there with, with black women or I would say I'll say black agents who were looking for women's fiction they could be male mm -hmm. or female you know so because maybe they get it and they could see a value in a story and they can understand how a story could be marketed and sold because they kind of understand the history because if you don't you know and we're talking about now erasing some of the history and not talking about some of this stuff and it's going to make it even harder because you're going to start talking about stuff that no one has a clue about because they didn't learn about it in school they'd be like Hey, this exactly. is not true. This never happened. And what are you talking about? So it's going to make yeah. things harder versus easier. So yeah, that, I, yeah. So if you've got a couch, let me know. Cause I need to rest my head on that. So this is pillow. the only couch I have, Miss Jackie. This is all <laughs> I can offer. <laughs> well, thank it. you. Thank you for letting me get some of that off my chest. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I do what I can. I do what I can for the people. Um, so blah, 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 blah. You feel honestly you've already answered this this whole audacity so even with all of that you're going to query and you're going to have these books published what gives you the audacity to say I don't care about xyz because I'm going to do this and da 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 like because I think I think anybody who has the audacity to sit down and spend the time at a computer, at a keyboard, with paper and pen, and write a story, whether it's 60, 70, 80,000, 100,000 words, to put all that story. So you should have the audacity to publish it, whether you submit it to agents and you know a, a publishing company, or whether you self-publish it. Because you had the audacity to show up every day to put paper to pen or mm -hmm. fingers on a keyboard, then you have the audacity to get your words out there. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to buy your book, but you sure enough, we've we got to, you know, even if you just sell your book to your mother and your cousin and yourself, that's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But we, we may have to change our definition of what success looks like or whatever, because you get your story out there and it, it, it may not be popular today. It may be popular two years from now, five years from now. But if you have the audacity to write it, go ahead and publish your story. That's my I love plot. that. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, oh, this is my favorite part. Uh-oh. We get to play the game. Uh-oh, okay. Tell the whole story. Okay. My favorite part. So um, basically... Um, I'm going to give you a word and you're going to share a little one to two line anecdotal story 
that will fall under either hashtag bookish or hashtag writer's life or hashtag writing while black. Okay, I hope I can remember that. Bookish. Okay. Writing while black and writer's life. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. And I, I just took the word story and I have like, you know, some words that start with those uh, those letters. So the first word is smart. Smart. I would say that's writer's life. And I, I can tell you a little bit. Uh, because um, I don't, I'm not saying that you have to be smart to be a writer, but you've got to think you know what you're writing about. So even even if you don't, you gotta think you know what you're writing about. So I would that that's how I, that's why I would say writer's life. You, 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 if you sit down, you gotta have the confidence that this is a story, and only I can tell this story this way. Yeah. So that's and you gotta be kind of smart to kind of think that in your head. I think. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Okay. Or at least look smart enough to make your readers believe that you know everything that you're talking about. True. True. <laughs> um, the next word is tension tension okay i gotta remember the categories again so it's bookish uh ooh, writer's life or what was the other one writing, writer's life. writing while black and tension t-e-n-s-i-o tension <laughs> again um i'm gonna say that's writer again the writer's life because every book the way I write, my fundamental belief for writing is every scene has to have tension in it. Mm -hmm. Something's going to be going wrong. Something, and I don't mean physically wrong. Whether it's the way I'm thinking or what I'm seeing, is you've got to have to hold a reader's interest. You've got to have tension on almost every scene. Some people have said you've got to have tension on every page to keep the writer hooked. You've got to have something going on, going wrong that's not in order. So, hmm. I, and I try to think about that. So every scene, I and, and I, I remember taking a course once and um, uh, Sherry Adair said, there's, with every scene you write, you have to say, what is the purpose of this scene? And I try to do that. So in every scene, something is happening, something is going wrong, or we're building up to something going wrong. So there's got to be a lot of tension almost in every okay. scene. Okay, that's interesting. Now my crazy brain is like, well, why is that? Are human beings not capable of just enjoying peace? <laughs> and there's no story. If there's no tension, there's no story. If, if Mary, if, if Jack and Jane went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, if Jack didn't fall down, you wouldn't have a nursery rhyme. They went up the hill, they got the no. water. In the story. Okay. <laughs> Look, okay. I still want human beings to just like something pretty, but no, that's not happening. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh, oh, opening. Man, you come with these words are hard to connect. Open. <laughs> I'm gonna say that would be hashtag reader opening. Because one thing about me, when I am reading a book, if I am not hooked in that opening scene, I will close a book up and move on in a heartbeat. Are you I, a DNF'er? <laughs> What does that mean? What's I a did not finish reading. 
I, you know, because I used to, when I started a book, I used to finish a book. That was mm -hmm. my philosophy. But then I said, why? Why do you do that? We, we're talking about self-care. If this book is not giving me what I need, and I'm not saying that book is bad. It's just not giving me what I need. Mm -hmm. I need to close it up and move on. So now I, you know, the first few pages I'm reading it. And if it doesn't draw me in or it doesn't hold my attention, I close that book up and I move on. So the opening, as far as me being a reader, it's, you know, it's got to happen in that opening. It's got to be like this to keep me, you know, for me. And, you know, and I'm not saying that it's got to be something action driven, but it's got to be something that resonates with me, something that I want to hear. I've got to like the, 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 the person who's speaking, whether it's the protagonist or the antagonist, whoever's mm -hmm. talking, you know, first from future, I need to like what they're saying or be interested in what they're saying, unless I'm not going to finish that book. I love that. Time is too precious to give to stuff you don't have time to give. Intention. I yes. like that. Intention. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, and you said hashtag, that would be bookish. Bookish. Okay. Bookish. Yeah. Bookish. Okay. And um, we only have two more to go. You're doing really okay. good. Um, read. Read. I would say that's bookish and what was the third one N not bookish and writing while black or uh, writer's yeah. life I i'm going to writer's life i guess yeah okay yeah uh, that that's where i would put it because um what was the word again the word was read read mm -hmm. read because uh, well of course i, I as a reader, I am reading a lot. And I've, I've got books everywhere. And I'm always reading something. Um, I try to read for pleasure. I try to read for education. You know, mm -hmm. something's going to help teach me something or, 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 or show me something different or show me how to do something different. So, um, and I, I just can't imagine people who don't read. I'm like, what do you do if you don't read? You know, I, know. I, like, I can't imagine not reading. I, I just, yeah. No. I don't even remember a time when I couldn't read. Like that was something that we had to do an assessment on when I was teaching. And it was like, when did you learn to read? I'm like, I don't remember not reading. Yeah. I honestly I don't people, remember not reading. When I talk to people, they tell me they don't read. I was, I'm like, you don't read? What do so you we do? We can't you talk. Don't <laughs> <laughs> you don't read. We can't talk. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I, I, you might not read fiction, but do you read nonfiction? How can you? I, I, I just can't. I know read. an article. Go through I, this. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. This next one, you're probably gonna uh, give me the stink eye, but uh oh. <clears throat> I've been wanting to use this one, so here we go. It's a Y. Yang and Yang, Yin and Yang. I'll just put that in all three categories. Oh, 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 I've not had that before. Well, because like I said, from a reader's perspective, there's, if I'm reading, I've got to be getting something out of it. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm giving you my time, my dollars. I'm hoping you're giving me some entertainment because I love to read fiction. As mm -hmm. a writer, I have to almost kind of do the same thing. I'm writing a story that I hope resonates with someone out there. So I'm giving you something and I hope that you are getting something from it. So I'm mm -hmm. 
just giving you some pleasure, some entertainment, um, because that you know that's why why I'm writing it. And when we talk about the writers of the Black writers' life, uh, you know, we get to what history has tried to bury. We have found mm-hmm. a way to get up and to tell our stories. So, and, and to me, it kind of almost fits in every one of those categories because you know, it's like, we, we're not going to be quiet. We're not going to go quietly into that good night. We're going to find I a way. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> we're going to find a way to tell our stories. So, yes. so if the yin is like, shh, don't tell that, you know, keep quiet about that. So oh, we, we, we got pencil and paper. We're going to find okay. a way. <laughs> we have TikTok. Somebody is going to find out about we're gonna, it. We're going to tell our stories. Our stories have been quiet way too long. So that to me, it fits almost in every category. And that's the way life is. There's always a give and a take or push and a pull mm-hmm. in life. <laughs> that was fun. You did good. Most people uh, dread the game. You did really good. I have like one more question. Okay. Okay. One more question. Um, and I think it was... Yes, because this is the one you you said I could ask. Uh oh. What's okay. the most difficult scene you've ever written, and how did you find the strength to do it? The most difficult scene that I've ever written. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is not necessarily women's fiction, but I find it very difficult to write sex scenes. In your role. Oh, you know, romance, most, well, I shouldn't say most, romance, some, a lot of romance novels have a sex scene in them. And I was on a reader's cruise last September and, you know, and I'd be kind of moving away from doing that because I'm finding them so difficult to write and and doing that reader's cruise. Several of the readers said they want sex in their books. I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, darn it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, um, for me, and maybe I'm old fashioned, I don't know, but it's only it's in the bedroom and the sex scene. To me, there's only so many words you can use to describe body parts or the act of sex or whatever. And it's like, so you're trying to come up with new and more imaginative ways to say the same thing for people who mm-hmm. are doing it. I was like, I and and unfortunately or whatever, I, in my last couple of books, I think they have had very few sex scenes. And I, mean, I do find them very difficult to write. Maybe I'm a prude. I don't know, but I am trying to get better. I was saying to some writer friends the other day, we get we have our conference called once a week and we get together and talk. And I'm gonna say, I need to start because I, I like a lot of women's fiction, but I need to start reading more of some of the YA stuff and some of the younger stuff because I kind of know what those young people are talking about, <laughs> what they're saying. So, <laughs> so you kind of know what's going on in the world. You know, we live in yeah. our own little bubble and we kind of know I know this stuff, but if you want to be able to write, you've got to always keep educating yourself mm-hmm. on what's going on out there, what's the newest thing and what's you know what's going on. So but those yeah. are the most difficult scenes for me to write because I, I run out of words and, you know, <laughs> what's another word to say for breast or whatever. So <laughs> I, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. So. I think uh, probably, I know I'm in like a couple of uh, critique groups here in, in Columbia and, um, and I'd have a, like, they're like older women, older white women. Okay. They make up the majority of of the writing association, older white women and, and older white men. I mean, you know, and, yes. and they tend to write like very 
not sexy scenes in, in their pieces. And so for me um, to give them, a, they're like, oh, we can't, we, we huh? can't listen to that. It, it's just so, I'm like, but you all have children. What are you doing? But yeah. I can, I can, I can see why it could be kind of daunting to have to write one. If, but if you have to take a look at your audience. It's like, who are you writing? And this is what I said to my writing group when we start talking about that. Who are you writing for? And when mm -hmm. I look at writing, I think I'm writing for 25 to 65 plus year olds. So if I'm writing for a span that wide and, and, and not just for 50 and up, then, you know, you got to think about what are the, you know, what are, what are younger readers, if you want to hold their attention, what do they want to read and how do they say it and, and what are they doing? And you got to yep. stay on top of that, you know. And if they want, want all the things. They, they want all the things. You're exactly right. So, you know, as and as we get older, it comes become harder and harder. So you got to, you got to read more so you'll understand uh -huh. what they're saying and what they're doing. And my husband gets on me sometimes because I look at some wild stuff on television, but I'm saying, this is part of what's, yes. you know, a lot of that reality television, that's what they're into. So I want to hear how they talk and what they're interested uh -huh. in. It's, it's all educational. So you have to kind of do that. Yeah. Yeah. True, true, true. Saki, we're done. Okay, okay. We are yeah. done. I can't even believe it. Um, thank you like so much for for coming on the show, and I want to just invite you to be a part of what will be a group therapy session, which is kind of a roundtable that I'll pull some of the writers from from the season back together, and we can okay. like really talk about some interesting industry things and huh? so forth and so on so i would love to extend that invitation please do to come please back do. okay thank you and of course oh. this would not be a therapy session if i didn't give you homework uh, okay i got my pen i'm ready what you what you got this is really easy is there a black woman writer that you would recommend to come and sit on my proverbial couch oh most of the ones that I would think about, you've probably already got them on your list already. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I know you've got Piper Hughley. I don't have Piper. Oh, Piper. you got to get Piper Hughley on you. She's the one who wrote the the book about Anne Lowe. That's yes. it, um, by her own design is the name of her book. She's very good. I know you've got Denny Bryce on your list. Um, I would say try to get because uh, because uh, I and I keep saying her name over and over because I just finished her book Sadiqa Johnson on your list. I know I thought about putting her on my list and I was like she is all over the place. Uh, oh, she, well, I'm she, just she like a little busy right now. <laughs> yeah, but even some of the older like Marguerite Golden. Have you? I, I read a book by her not too long ago. It was about a woman whose husband ended up with Alzheimer's, and I, I don't ask me. I read so much I can't remember the. But she's. It was a very <laughs> good book, and I, I thought it was very interesting. I. It was, again, that was another book that didn't necessarily have a happy ever instant, but it was a really good right. book. So I would say Marguerite Golden. Um, um, is that enough, or do you want a few more? I'm always open for as many as you want to give me. Okay. Well, maybe if I think of some other ones, I can shoot you an email. But yes. Vanessa Riley, I, I said to you already about Vanessa Riley. Yeah, I've reached out to her. So hopefully she'll kind of, uh, she gave me a lot. Miss Jackie, thank you so much. You're more I'm than welcome. I'm so honored that you said yes. And that hopefully I can see you in Chicago in September. 
Um, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, I will be there. And I'll bring my bojo. Okay, well, I'll be bringing mine and my combos and we can okay. bojo together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Thank you so much. I All really right. appreciate it. You have a great week. Thank you bye -bye. so much, Ella. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this session of Black Writer Therapy. Be sure to follow and leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And keep the conversations going on Instagram using our hashtag Black Writer Therapy. I'm your host and unlicensed therapist, Alishan, reminding you to be kindest to yourself first, always and in all ways. See you guys next week. Bye.